It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com at FFFSOSS, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch.tv slash AJNick3. Coming off a awesome Sweet 16 Elite 8 weekend. We have an unprecedented and unconventional Final Four that awaits us in Houston on Saturday and then in the National Championship on Monday. So that's what we'll do in the kickoff at the top of the show. We will talk about this unprecedented, unconventional Final Four. Then we'll do our Sweet 16 and Elite 8 recaps. Some NFL headlines with the two quarterbacks of note this offseason making um, making some waves. Rodgers more so, two GMs talking about him. But Lamar Jackson going to Twitter and announcing to the public that he has, in fact, uh, requested a trade from the Ravens organization. So we'll do more of that in the NFL headlines. Some soccer news with some big managerial sackings. Um, you could argue out of nowhere for one, but certainly after uh, the words from Antonio Conte following Tottenham's poor performance uh, before the uh, Europe the, for the international break, Conte out in <laughs> Tottenham. So we'll do some soccer news, little golf talk at the end of the program as well. So that is what's on tap for this one. Um, Again, might not be the longest. We'll dive into some of these really, really exciting and good games. So we'll touch on those, but we'll see where we're at because um, no midweek soccer to talk about and look at too. And uh, not a bunch of NFL headlines, but certainly some. So we have an unprecedented and unconventional Final Four. We got a Sweet 16 and Elite Eight recaps, NFL headlines, soccer news, Dell match play recap, and more on the program. So kick it off with this unprecedented and unconventional Final Four. The highest seed we have is a four in UConn coming out of the West. Then we have a pair of five seeds, San Diego State from the South and Miami, the five seed out of the Midwest. And then the nine seed, the FAU Owls coming out of the East. What a collection of teams we have. What a way we got to these four teams in this tournament with so many upsets, so many great games and just a topsy-turvy year in college basketball where, I mean, all year, if you were not paying attention to college basketball and then tuning in, tuning out, you were hear things like, anyone can win it this year. This year's wide open. And this Final Four just proves that the entirety of the season, everyone's saying, hey, there's no real um, a- absolute number one lock. They're winning the title. There's not one school like that. Yes, Alabama had a lot of good press, and Houston, and Purdue winning the Big Ten, a big deal to win that league. So, yes, of course, the one seeds are good teams, and the two seeds. There's a lot of good basketball teams, but the parity across Division One men's hoops really has shown this season, and it's resulted through the tournament, and then we have it now in the Final Four. A four seed, two five seeds, and a nine seed. It is the... First Final Four without a one, two, or three seed ever. It's the third Final Four without a one seed, dating back to 06, which was the George Mason as an 11 with UCLA at two, Florida at three, and LSU at four. So mildly conventional besides that 11 George Mason. And then 
in 2011 with um, UConn the three, Kentucky the four, Butler the eight, and VCU the 11. So that was the third without a one seed, and then it's the second without a one or two seed dating back to that 2011 tournament as well. This is also the second highest total of seeds, 23, 4 plus 5 plus 5 plus 9, folks, is only behind 26 in that 2011 Final Four with UConn, Kentucky, Butler, and VCU 3, 4, 8, 11 in that 2011 Final Four, which you know UConn won, so there's another little uh, wrinkle. This is the first Final Four since 1970 where three schools are making their first appearance with San Diego State, Miami, and FAU. Now, San Diego State had been close. We know Miami going to an Elite Eight last year, getting knocked off, unfortunately, one step away from a Final Four, and FAU is their first tournament. So those three schools getting this far is unbelievable, to say the least. And I looked at what we talked about last year at, at this time on the show, and it was that it was a Blue Blood Final Four. You know, Kansas, Duke, Carolina, Villanova, blue bloods of the sport. Now, I know Villanova, people, Villanova's not blue. Two titles in a, in a span, and then the third one dating back to give your programs a tradition, you're a blue blood for me, okay? So now we go from that Final Four to this one where UConn, to me, is a blue blood. You win that many titles, you're a blue blood. But the other three teams, their first trip, to the Final Four, and it's all together. So, what a foursome it is. And just real quick, because, you know, before I get into a little more deeper on each team, I was seeing, like, some, like, oh, what a bad Final Four. Like, how... No Final Four is a bad Final Four. You went four games to get here in this tournament. Now, I understand if you're going to knock FAU... To me, I don't think you should. They beat some good basketball teams. You know, San Diego State beat some really good basketball teams. Miami beat some really good basketball teams. You got to beat some really, really good basketball teams. So, to be like, oh, you know, I like it when it's the really good teams are in the Final Four. Yeah, if we saw four one seeds every year, it wouldn't be the tournament. That's not the whole thing. That's the beauty and the agony of the tournament. That's the whole thing. The whole point is that there's 67 other teams that are sad. <laughs> One team that is just absolutely elated and immortalized. So, just to that point, people being like, ugh, not a great Final Four. Get lost with that. That's crazy to me. I can't, I can't stand that kind of talk. So, a little more about each team here. FAU is the second nine seed to advance all the way to the Final Four. Joining Wichita State, who accomplished that feat in 2013. FAU is also the first team since George Mason in 06 that made the Final Four in the same season that it earned its first NCAA tournament win. First Conference USA school since 2008. That was Memphis when uh, Mary Chalmers beat Derrick Rose and company in that great title game with Kansas and Memphis and self against Cal. Um... So that's the story with FAU. San Diego State had not gone past the Sweet 16. They're the first Mountain West representative in the Final Four. Miami was so close to this last season 
losing the Elite Eight last year, and now this year they get over the hump, and Coach Laranega gets to his Final Four, joining in a, a very exclusive club of coaches that have taken multiple schools to Final Fours. That's pretty cool that Laranega's name is now on that after the improbable George Mason run of 06, now a awesome run with Miami in 2023. And UConn, back to the Final Four, the team that has the experience, the, the school that has the experience in this round. First since 2014, and when they get to Final Fours, they usually win them. They've gone to the Natty and won them four out of the previous five Final Four appearances. So we'll do more about these teams on Thursday, of course, when we look ahead to the matchups on Saturday night. But just some interesting facts and statistics about this year's unprecedented, unconventional Final Four. A four-seed in UConn out of the West. Five-seed San Diego State coming out of the South. The Midwest representative is a five-seed in Miami. And FAU, the nine-seed out of the East. This year's Final Four headed down to Houston for Saturday's games. We'll preview them on Thursday. But now let's recap and look back at the Sweet 16. We start in the South with number five, San Diego State, taking on number one, Bama. Aztecs win it 71-64. Aztecs led it 28-23 at half. A poor shooting performance for the Tide, and the game was certainly played at that San Diego State pace that I was talking about on Thursday's show. Bama did get up 11 after an 8-2 run midway through the second half, but then San Diego State went on their own run, this one a 12-0 run, and kind of kept Alabama at a little bit of an arm's length. They led 66-57 until a little mini Bama run, Sears, Layup cut it to two, 66-64 with 46 seconds left. But then Bradley made two free throws. Uh, Parrish then made three of four free throws, and Bama never got closer. Aztecs beat the number one overall seed. So to this point, we had lost our third number one seed uh, with Alabama going down. Trammell led all scorers with 21. Ladee had 12. Uh, Bama, three for 27 from three. They shot 32% from the floor. And live by the three, die by the three for sure. That's what happens. But San Diego State really turned up the screws. I don't, like, I understand you can bash Bama for not hitting shots. and all. I think we got to give credit to San Diego State. You know, like, sometimes you just lose because the team just plays unbelievable defense and you can't do anything about it. You know, you get shots and you normally hit them and you don't hit them. And then you're not believing in yourself and, you know, you're questioning whether you should take jumpers or not. So, like, I understand that people would, you know, it's Bama, they're the number one overall seed, they should, like, win a championship. That's how it works, right? No, like, I get what people are saying, but I think we should just give a ton more credit to San Diego State than knock a Bama. They didn't shoot it. I think that's what they do. Sometimes they've grinded those games out and won them. Not often. But this season, we've seen them do it. They did it a couple times in the SEC tournament where they didn't shoot it well. You know, we've seen it in this tournament in, like, spurts and spans, but we haven't seen it for an entire game like we did in this San Diego State upset over Bama. Great game. Trammell was awesome. Mid-range jumpers, um, some deep ones as well. And then from the free throw line, down the stretch, Bradley makes two clutch ones. Parrish makes three out of four and makes it insurmountable for Bama to come back, and Nate Oates crew out of the tournament in the round of 16. Other matchup in the South, it was the 6-seed Creighton going up against the 15 Providence. Creighton wins at 86-75. Creighton led 47-43 at half. It seemed like they were 
keeping Princeton at arm's length, but Princeton was doing a good job of staying in it. Whenever it got stretched too far, Princeton would get a couple buckets and a couple stops to uh, close the deficit. But a Creighton 9-2 run made it 56-45. Princeton ends up cutting it to 61-52, but then Creighton immediately responded with a 7-0 run of their own, and Princeton never got it closer than 7 the rest of the game. Calc Brown had 22. Shireman had 21. Five threes in that 21 points for Shireman. Alexander had 19. Creighton shot it really well. When they score, they're usually going to win those games. That's just it's what seems to happen with Creighton. So um, we'll stay in the Sweet 16 because we'll do a lead eight after. But over to the Midwest now with Houston and Miami. And we just had Bama lose. And then about 15, 20 minutes later, Miami pulled off the upset over number one Houston in the Midwest, 89-75. Good first half. Miami led at the break, 42-36. And a 16-5 run between the end of the first half and the start of the second half got Miami in a more of a comfortable uh, lead. But Houston did cut it to two. Um, but Miami responded with a 16-2 run. The lead ballooned up to 17, and Houston never got it closer than 11 the rest of the game. So, um they score 75, Houston does, but they give up 89. Pack had 26, seven threes. Wong had 20. Miller had 13. Amiri had 12 and 13 and a double-double. So a fantastic scoring display from Coach Laranegas, Miami Hurricanes, to knock off the Houston Cougars in the Sweet 16. So Miami would await the winner of Xavier in Texas in the Elite Eight, and it was Texas who wins this one, 83-71. Disu, you know, we've just lost Willis Reed, unfortunately, but he kind of gave a Willis Reed imp uh, impersonation with coming out, uh, starting the game, banged up. He tries to go, but he can't play, so he gets pulled out. Longhorns started the game up 6 nothing. Then they had 14-5 lead and eventually ballooned up to 16-34-18. Then with Timmy Allen's heave at the buzzer, Texas was up 17-42-25 at the break. And even though Xavier outscored Texas 46-41 in the second half, the first half deficit was too much to overcome for Sean Miller, Miller's Xavier Musketeers. So Texas Longhorns and the interim still at the time, Coach Rodney Terry, get into the Elite Eight. Hunter had 19. Karin Bishop both had 18. Bishop really stepped up in the absence of Disu, who is having a really, really good tournament. Rice off the bench with 16 and Timmy Allen's 11 certainly Helped out. So Texas faced off against Miami in the lead eight. So now we go to the West. Arkansas looking to go to a third straight elite eight. Taking on UConn. UConn just showed more and more what they're made of in this tournament. They went at 88-65. UConn shot it very well. 57% from the floor. 45% from behind the arc. First half featured a 14-0 Huskies run that gave them a 46-29 lead at the break. Lead ballooned all the way up to 62-33 before Arkansas had a 27-second uh, 10-0 run to spark them within a shout of coming back. But then Arkansas never closed the gap. Um, they played a better second half, but UConn shot it too well in the first half. Played too well the rest of the game. Hawkins had 24. Sonogo had 18. And the UConn Huskies, again, a dominant performance from Coach Hurley and his staff and the rest of his team. You know, they have a lot of players. And a lot of guys understand their roles, which is really important. 
you know, Jackson is the glue guy. Newton and Hawkins are the guards. Hawkins scores a little more than Newton, we know. Sanogo is such a big, but you bring in Klingon, uh, Klingon off the bench to spell him, and he's a great threat. Um, Caravan and Calcaterra know their roles as shooters. Aline off the bench. Like, so many, so many players for this UConn team, and they just show it because Arkansas is a really, really good team. And you know I love the must-bust, but UConn just shot it so well that Arkansas trying to get it to their pace, it was never going to be at Arkansas's pace. UConn just eliminated that by shooting the ball so well. So give uh, Coach Hurley and the rest of his staff and his UConn Huskies a ton of credit for showing up again in a big spot. Now, they would face Gonzaga, who beat UCLA in a absolute classic. And Gonzaga and UCLA, folks, only play classics. We know most recently with a Jalen Suggs shot um, to get Gonzaga into the championship against Baylor in that uh, Final Four. And then, of course, the classic with Adam Morrison on that Gonzaga team. Bautista with the catch with Gus Johnson on the call and UCLA surviving that one. But we had a... Unbelievable game here in the Sweet 16 with these two schools. Unfortunately for UCLA, no bone of the big man. But the Bruins did go on a 15-4 run before the half it ended. So they led 46-33 at the break. But the Zags own about 16-5 run, tied the game. And then they got another bucket that gave them a 61-59 lead. It's the same score at the under-8 timeout in the second half. Jaime Jaquez ties the game at 61 with two free throws. UCLA went on a field goal-less drought. You know, at this point, it's seven minutes. Malachi Smith had a floater. Timmy, a back down. That broke the deadlock and gave the Zags a four-point lead. Bailey gets bumped, the freshman from UCLA. He only makes one free throw, so the Zag lead is three. Timmy ends up saving a possession with a loose ball. It was a great play by Timmy, hustle play. And it all led to a uh, Strother three. They were up six. Mick Cronin calls timeout. Timmy then gets fouled. He misses the first, makes the second, so the lead is up to seven. Still no UCLA field goal to this point. It's around nine minutes at this point. Malachi Smith for three. The lead's up to ten. Campbell gets fouled at the rim. He makes one, misses two. That's a guy that doesn't miss free throws. So the fact that he did miss a free throw, you knew it was kind of getting to them. UCLA was a little tight, and we know with the injury to Jalen Clark already, with Bona being banged up, UCLA had... Um, not a lot of guys that Mick Cronin could go to. So, whereas Gonzaga was able to sub in and bring some guys in with fresh legs, UCLA really had to play, you know, five or six guys. That was it. Um, so, the drought continues after Campbell gets fouled. He only makes one. Then he misses a bunny at the rim. Now, the field goal drought continues past 11 minutes, and it's ended with a Hawkeyes and one. So, that brought the uh, Zag lead down to 72-66 to 66 with 114 to go. Strother gets bumped. He makes both, 74-66. And now here comes UCLA. Singleton foul makes both, 74-68. Zags throw it away. Hakez and one makes the free throw. UCLA down three, 45 seconds left. UCLA ends up fouling in the backcourt to extend the game. Watson makes a free throw. So UCLA down four. Hakez another layup. Zags get it in. They're up two. Get it across half court. Strother calls timeout. So there's 25.8 left. Timmy gets fouled. He misses both. UCLA coming down the other end. It's Bailey, the freshman, a three ball, gives UCLA the lead. So they're up by one, 76-75. 
12.4 left. So it's a 14-3 UCLA run overall and a 10-1 run in the last 41 seconds to this point. But here comes Gonzaga. And they have Strother for the deep three over the middle. It's the 21-pitch play that won Villanova a title with Jay Wright and uh, Archie Diacono handing it off to Chris Jenkins. Okay, uh, we had that play in that title game and now in this Sweet 16 matchup same play for Gonzaga Strother buries the three Gonzaga back up two here comes UCLA Campbell on the run he gets stripped by Malachi Smith UCLA falls uh, Strother he misses a free throw makes the second so they're up three and UCLA throws it into um, one of the bigs he gives it to Campbell Campbell's one foot three for the tie off the back rim so he could have had overtime. But Gonzaga, with a awesome comeback, some great defense uh, to just come back in the game, get a lead, and then just refuse to lose the game at the end. When UCLA was doing everything in their power, a 14-3 run, a 10-1 uh, run in the last 40 seconds. like They were doing everything they could to win that game. And have Gonzaga blow it, but credit Gonzaga, credit Mark Few's crew, because they were the ones when the buzzer sounded that had the lead and won the game. Timmy had 36 and 13 in the win. Strother had 16 for UCLA. Hawk has 29, Bailey 19, and Tiger Campbell 14. So UCLA season ends. Gonzaga moves on. All right, to the East, and MSG was the scene for the East Regional. FAU and Tennessee. FAU wins at 62. 55. Tennessee was up 27 to 22. A low scoring, poorly played first 20 minutes, and it was Tennessee's pace for sure. That punk, uh, plastic, he's a bum. He was uh, hitting the golden guy um, for FAU. What a what a bum. What an absolute bum that guy is. Uh, last 10 minutes of the second half, though, FAU started hitting their threes. A force three gave FAU a 41-39 lead. That was our first lead since early in the first half, just a minute and 30 into the game. That was part of a 17-2 FAU run in the middle of the second half that put them up 53-43. to Vols eventually cut it to 55-50, but never get closer. A boy layup made it 57-50, and they just went on to cruise control from there. Davis with 15, Boyd with 12, Forrest with 11, and an awesome, awesome win for Dusty May's FAU Owls. And they would end up taking on Kansas State, who knocked off Michigan State in an absolute classic 98-93 in overtime. A great game, 16 lead changes, 14 ties. K-State led 43-38 after an exciting first half, and MSU won the second half, 44-39. That set up overtime. So late in the second half, an and one, but a miss three. Uh, Noel misses the dagger three. So Michigan State was down two, 19.7 seconds left. A Walker bucket tied it. Noel's shot for the win did not go. So that set up overtime where Walker gave Michigan State their first lead since 7.32 of the second half. They were up three. Noel's two free throws, then an assist. So Gessian uh, put K-State back up one. Hoggard and one. Michigan State back up two. Another layup assist from Noel to Gessian. Game tied at 90. Hogger goes right back out the little man Noel for a bucket. Two Tomlin free throws tied at the other end. So we're even at 92. And then one of the more viral clips and plays of this tournament with Noel looking at Coach Tang. He spots uh, Johnson 
going to the bucket. He throws a no-look alley-oop, gives K-State a 94-92 lead. Hall then got fouled for Michigan State while setting a screen. So there's 42.8 left. He misses the second. So K-State up, K-State up one. And here's where the referees start to get involved. Because a Noel deep three was an air ball, but they review to see if Hager got a piece. And he does. But it's by the most minimal zoom in, slow down. You know, so okay, he gets a piece, fine. But that's such a your dad's the ref in your home school gym call. That's the most ridiculous call. So anyway, they keep the ball. And instead of Michigan State being down one, getting the ball with seventeen point four, instead it's K-State with the ball with 17.4 and 4.7 left on the shot clock. And Masood makes a jumper. That puts him up three. 12.5 left. Michigan State coming the other way. Walker gets stripped. Noel gets a bucket the other way for the exclamation point. And he needed to set the exclamation point because he had 20 and 19. He sets the assist record in the win. It was an outstanding basketball game. Um, a great game at the Mecca and MSG. Uh, certainly a game that will go down in the history of this tournament. K-State plays awesome Sweet 16 games if you look at the history of their program. It sucks for Izzo. Uh, it sucks for Michigan State because I had them going to Final Four, but that's not a story for another day. But um, for Michigan State, very tough. And also it sucked for UCLA before because I had them winning it. But this one, tough for Michigan State. Their season ends. Um, and I'm not saying it's the wrong call, but... The kid chucks an air ball from 40 feet, and you just give him the ball back. Like, I don't know. For me, that just that just rubbed me the wrong way. I get it. It's the right call. And you're just not AJ. You had Michigan State. If you had Kansas State, you'd be screaming that was a tip. Sure, sure that's right. You're right. I can admit that. I have no problem admitting that. Uh, so that sets us up for the lead eight. So coming out of the South would be the winner of Creighton, San Diego State, and it was San Diego State who wins it 57-56. to Creighton could only muster up 56 points after scoring 86 against Princeton the round before. Neither team had been to the lead eight, let alone a Final Four. Creighton did shoot it well in the first half. They had a 33-28 lead at the break, but the second half started with the San Diego State run, uh, 6-0 run that gave them their first lead since 5-4 early. The sixth lead change of the game was a San Diego State bucket, giving them a 1.46-45 lead. Kaluma tied the game at 46 with one free throw. Um, they had three points in seven minutes. Crane did. And a rop jumper gave San Diego State a two-point lead at the under four. He makes another jumper on the other side of the timeout. That was the largest Aztec lead of the day, but back-to-back Kalkbrunner buckets tie it for Crane today had a uh, jump ball in between that they had possession of. So that was big. So tied at 54. Mensa has a pull-up jumper. He hits it 56-54. Nemhard coming the other way. He got hurt in the game. He came back in, so showed some toughness. But his effort gets tipped at the rim. San Diego State ball. Trammell takes a three. No good. Alexander comes down the other way for Creighton. He misses. So 33.7 left. San Diego State called timeout uh, with the ball. He had to call another timeout um, to avoid a turnover, but then they inbound it. The lob pass goes straight to Shireman. He lays it up. Game tied just like that. So down comes San Diego State. Creighton had a foul to give. They fouled. So he has 6.7 seconds left. Trammell drives it. 
and he gets fouled on his hip. They call the foul on the floater. So Trammell's going to the line. Game is tied at 56-56. 1.2 seconds left. And the referee called the foul. Now, if we want to have an argument, was it a foul? Yes, it was a foul. On his hip, that's a foul. You know, pushing him down while he's shooting, it's with the body, it's a foul. 100%. My problem with it is this. And it's my problem with offici- officiating across all sports. If you're going to call the game a certain way, where you're not calling hand checks, you're letting it be physical, you cannot let a Final Four spot be decided by your whistle that late in the game on that foul that you have not called the whole game. That's not fair to the kids. Because you've set the expectation that contact like that isn't going to be a foul. So, to me, that's a... That's a brutal hand to be dealt. That is absolutely agonizing. That is terrible. That is terrible. Because, again, I'll be the first to say it. It's a foul. When you're going up to shoot and someone's pushing on your body, that's a foul. For sure. Just because it's not at the top where the ball is being shot, it's a foul. I'm not saying it isn't a foul. What my point is, you've officiated the game a certain way to that point. You can't change it with one second left. You can't do that. You can't do that. That's too much on the line. There's too much on the line. It's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to Coach McDermott. To be honest, I don't think San Diego State would have wanted to win that way, but they don't care. They're going to the Final Four. I understand either position from them. Like I could see guys being like, damn, sucks that we won that way. And I can see other guys being like, whatever, we won, we going, we're going on. you know. So I don't blame San Diego State one way or the other for saying how they feel or if they wish they, it had been differently, whatever. I feel for the Creighton kids. Because that had not been a foul the whole game. They were letting them play. The game is 57 to 56 for crying out loud. Creighton had a foul to give in an NCAA tournament game. You don't see that, okay? So... To have that call be made, I think is horrendous. Because I will tell you, it's a foul, absolutely. But you hadn't called those fouls to that point of the game. Not fair to decide a Final Four trip on that. It's not. And the game's 56-56. The floater's not going in. Let them play five more minutes deciding themselves. So that's just a really bad job. So Trammell misses the first. And I honestly thought, okay, missed the second. Creighton misses their heave. We're going to overtime. Let the boys decide it. Let the kids decide it, right? No, he makes the second. So San Diego State up one. Shireman, the high school quarterback, throws it in the lefty. The ball's tipped in. Goes out of bounds. They review it. So they got to review if Shireman's foot crossed the line. They got to review who touched the ball. They got to review how much time's left. And they got to review if the clock started on time. And they do all those things. And they come to the conclusion that the clock didn't start on time. The game is over. And that's how San Diego State is going to their first Final Four. And Creighton is going home. So I, I understand if McDermott never wants to see any of those officials again. I understand if he 
puts in a protest, a complaint, whatever. I I get it. Because that is a gun-wrenching way to lose. Seven ties, six lead changes. Butler had 18 in the win for San Diego State. Trammell had 12. Some big shots down the stretch. And Creighton did not shoot it well. But again, San Diego State, it got played at their pace. Got played at their pace, and they play good defense. So San Diego State coming out of the South. Now we go to the Midwest. Miami and Texas. Hurricanes win it 88-81. Disu again ruled out in this one. Miami started the game on a 9-2 run. Texas answered with a 7-0 run to tie it at the under-16. A rice jumper gave Texas a two-point lead. Joseph, two free throws for Miami, tied it. Rice gave Texas another lead. And then Miami went no field goals for a five-minute stretch until a Miller jumper ended that. Uh, Texas extended their lead to four, but Miami kept close. Pack made a floater that went over the backboard and went in, but it was out of bounds before it went in. So at the under eight, Texas is up three, 31-28. Bishop makes a bucket. Poplar and Morris trade threes. Another Morris three sandwich between Miami Buckets. Cunningham jumper, car jumper. So they're up eight. Poplar cuts it to six. Carr gets fouled, shooting a three. He makes two, and Texas is up 45-37 at the half. And then early second half, Texas got the lead up to 10 twice. They got it up to 12. That was their biggest lead after a Timmy Allen bucket. Miami ends up taking a timeout there. A packed jumper followed by a car three. At the under 16, it was Texas 59-47 with um, threatening to run away. And uh, Pack made two free throws, but Rice answered with a three. It was the biggest lead of 13 uh, Hunter got another bucket to put him up 13 again, but here come the Keens, methodically cutting into the lead. O'Marian won. Was the exclamation point of that 13-2 run in total. It gave Miami a 73-72 lead, their first lead since 21-20 in the first half. Texas, no field goals for eight-plus minutes until Hunter 3 restores the Texas lead. They're in front 75-73. Wong jumper ties it under four. Miller makes two free throws. Then Rice, a awesome take and finish to the rim. Tied at 77. So six lead changes, six ties as of three minutes and change to go at this point. Miller was at the line again for Miami. He makes two. An offensive foul on Wong, so it's 146 left. Carr ties it with a great move for Texas. Amiri fouls out on a rebound, but the call gets reversed. So it's a foul on Cunningham instead. Amiri was... I think, honestly, it would have been over the back if Cunningham didn't keep pushing him backwards while he jumped and undercut him. I think it would have been over the back um, had Cunningham kind of just stood there and stood his ground and boxed him out. Instead, he pushed him out uh, with his backside, and that gave the foul on Cunningham instead of Amiri. So he makes two. Carr ends up turning it over. Wong at the line makes both. They're up four. The Canes are 34.4 left. Cunningham floater doesn't go. Miller rebound. He's fouled. He makes both. Kane's up six. 23 seconds left. Hunter right to the rim. Gets a layup. 17.8 left. Up four. Miller fouled again. Makes both again. Up six. Cunningham misses a three. And that's all she wrote. Miami, an awesome comeback. They did it without making a second half three. That's unheard of in today's game, especially college basketball. They won the second half 51-36 without a three. 
They were spectacular from the free throw line, specifically in the second half. Miller had 27. Poplar finished with 16. Pack, 15. Wong, 14. O'Meary, 11. For Texas, in the loss, Carr, 17. Allen, 16. Rice had 15 off the bench. But, hey, credit Texas. Monday, they did the right thing. They hired Rodney Terry as the full-time head coach. Get rid of the interim tag. He's the guy in Austin who did an awesome job in the absence of um, the Chris Beard firing. So Miami punches their ticket to their first ever Final Four after knocking out the highest seed left in the tournament to that point, the number two seeded Texas Longhorns. UConn and Gonzaga in the West. We talk about this entire tournament. UConn putting it on teams, specifically in the second half. But the game against Arkansas was the first half. And the game against Gonzaga, it was the second half again. A very exciting first half ends with a Jackson assist to Caravan for a three as the horn ends. So UConn had a 39-32 lead at the break. Very exciting first half, but the game changed entirely early in the second half. Drew Timmy for Gonzaga picked up his third foul and fourth foul very early. UConn then went on a 14-3 run. They're up 60-43, and they end up winning the second half 43-22 and absolutely running away with this one. Gonzaga, not really efficient shooting the ball, didn't play that great of defense, and UConn shot it well, didn't turn it over, played strong defense, and got themselves in another Final Four for that program. Hawkins had 20, Caravan had 12, Sonogo had 10. They scored 82. A lot of guys chipped in with the scoring. They assist on buckets. They share the ball. They play good defense. The UConn Huskies going to another Final Four. Back to the biggest stage in college basketball with a win over Gonzaga, the four seed, over the three seed in the West. And then our last spot here, Kansas State and FAU in the East. FAU wins it 79-76. Great game. 12 lead changes, seven ties. Exciting first half ended with FAU up 4, 42-38. K-State was up 7 at the under 12. FAU went on a 12-5 run. That cut it to a one-point lead at the under 8. Then a golden dunk and a Davis free throw put FAU up 2 at the under 4. Very little scoring from the under 8 to the under 4. Martin hit a 3 for FAU. And then two free throws. That increased the FAU lead to 8 Noel hit two free throws to cut it to three eventually, but Boyd makes one out of two at the other end. A Carter wing three for K-State cut the FAU lead to one, 75-74 with 22.8 left, but Forrest made two free throws. Noel assists to Tomlin. That cut it to one with 8.6. They fouled Forrest again. He made both again. And then coming down the other way, down three, Noel gave it up to Masood, but a shot never came before the horn. So K-State, their run ends. FAU's magical Cinderella run lives on to the Final Four. Martin had 17, Greenlee had 16, and he fouled out. Golden had a really nice game. The big neutralized Keontae Johnson did a really good job, 14 and 13. Davis had 13 as well for the FAU Owls. Noel, 30 and 12 in the loss. So we have a Final Four of FAU going up against San Diego State and UConn going up against Miami. So either San Diego State or FAU are going to play for a national title on Monday night.
That's college basketball. That's the NCAA tournament. And I understand, you know, last year with St. Peter's and getting to that game against Carolina, everyone was excited, and Carolina really giving them a reality check. You know, that's good for the sport, too, to get really, really good teams in the Final Four. But when you get really, really good teams across the landscape of college basketball and a nine seed has been one of the best mid-majors of the whole year and they're in the Final Four, I mean, that's just that's just the magic of the sport. That's the best part about college basketball, folks. I mean, it, it really is something else. The fact that we have a nine seed, two five seeds, and a four. That's incredible. That's incredible. And we will look ahead to those games on Thursday's program. All right, let's go to some NFL headlines now. We start with Lamar Jackson making news with some tweets. Here we go. A letter to my fans. I want to first thank you all for all the love and support you consistently show towards me. All of you are amazing, and I appreciate you all so much. I want you to all know not to believe everything you read about me. Let me personally answer your questions. Next tweet. In regards to my future plans, as of March 2nd, I requested a trade from the Ravens organization for which the Ravens have not been interested in meeting my value. Any and everyone that has met me or been around me know I love the game of football and my dream is to help a team win a Super Bowl. You all are great, and I, but I had to make a business decision that was best for my family and I. No matter how far I go or where my career takes me, I'll continue to be uh, close to my fans of Baltimore Flock Nation and the entire state of Maryland. You'll see me again. Trolls. So here's what I'm going to say about that. Uh, what I said earlier about Lamar Jackson, which maybe um, NFL GMs and front offices and coaches see Lamar more like I see him than the rest of the media and some of these other people do which is a talented quarterback that probably isn't going to win you a Super Bowl because the style of play is not conducive to winning playoff games. Because if it was conducive to winning playoff games, we'd have seen more running quarterbacks win championships and playoff games in general. The Jalen Hurts offense is different than the Lamar Jackson offense. I hope people understand that. And also, Jalen Hurts is a linebacker playing quarterback. Lamar is a corner playing quarterback. He's not built that big. So I think a lot of teams are like, hey, man, you're really talented, but we can't give you that money because if you run around the edge and get cracked, it's over. So that's the story with Lamar coming from his end. The reports are that the Colts and Lions are still amongst the interested teams, so the commanders say they're out of the running. They're more focused on Sam Howell. So, it's interesting to see how many teams, like, you know, the way everybody talks about this guy, you figure if you don't have a top, top elite guy, you go get him. Well, that hasn't happened. And he requested that trade earlier in March, and nothing's happened. So, this is something to keep an eye on for Lamar. Now, a Rodgers update, Aaron Rodgers update, Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, says, there's been productive conversation with the Packers, but they're not where they need to be right now. Said so there's no sense of urgency. Uh, Guncust, the Packer GM, also met with the media. No timetable on trading Rodgers. Um, hoping soon. Doesn't necessarily need a first-round pick back. If there's, Is there any chance Rodgers plays for Green Bay again? It's not trending that way, but, quote, all options are on the table. 
So there you go. Mike McCarthy says the Cowboys are open to bringing Zeke back. Um, well, you just gave 21 to Stephon Gilmore, so I don't know how open you are to bringing him back, but we'll see about that. Uh, that coming after his uh, wish list of teams were the Bengals, the Eagles, and the Bills. Is that the third team? Uh, Sean Payton announces the Broncos are not trading Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton. They want to keep their weapons for Russell Wilson. Speaking of more receivers, the Panthers have signed DJ Shark to go with Adam Thielen and, of course, the quarterback they pick at the number one overall pick. Bobby Wagner signs for the Seahawks for a second stint. And we have the NFL is going to look at punting plays, trying to make them more safer and have them be less penalized because they are the most uh, dangerous play after they got rid of the kickoff stuff and the most penalized play, which... They want to either, they're going to say no double teams on the Gunners. They're going to say Gunners have to line up inside the numbers, I'm sure. They're going to say uh, that the punting team can't move until the punt's kicked or something. So they're going to experiment with this rule eventually. I don't know if it's going to be in play for this season. Maybe they do something with it in preseason and experiment with it. And then in uh, next season they go forward with it, but... They're looking at punt plays. They're looking at kickoff plays. They're trying to do a lot of things. All right, footy. Antonio Conte sacked at Tottenham. Stellini's going to take over. Interesting note here for Tottenham. Since sacking Andre Villas-Boas in 2013, Tottenham have paid a total of 55 million pounds in sacking managers. 4.5 to Villas-Boas, 12.5 to Pochettino, 20 to Mourinho, 14 to Spiro Santo, and $4 million to Conte to cover the final three months that were left on his deal. You know, I told you when I saw those Conte quotes last week that he was basically saying, please sack me, I'm done with this, get me out of here, I can't take it anymore. And it makes a lot of sense because, you know, you can see he hasn't gotten all the targets he's wanted. You can see he's tried to push the team but it's just not really going the way he wanted to. And he wanted to get sacked. You can tell he wanted to get sacked. He got sacked, and that's the end there. Uh, so Tottenham is going to fight for a top-four spot with a interim manager, which probably isn't the best thing in the world. But here we are, and Tottenham will have that story to deal with the rest of the way. And Conte... I hope he comes back to the Prem just because he's so exciting in it. He does some great pressers. He plays some exciting, even though it's not, like, the most exciting, like um, Leeds would play or something like that. But um, I, I like his style. I think, if, I think it belongs in the Prem. So, Conte out. Hopefully we get him uh, back in the Prem, if not in Italy or something. And then in... Germany, with Bayern Munich one point off the top and still in Champions League quarterfinals, Nagelsmann gets sacked. Teichel gets appointed in. And Teichel gets a big job. He deserves big jobs. He's a big job manager, in my opinion. I think he's a great manager. But the Nagelsmann stuff really... It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, it's an international break. You haven't had one of those in a while. If you want the manager to stick around, you should probably tell him that. But 
to get pissed when he goes on holiday when some of the other players are going on holiday and some of the other players are going to international duty. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's really the place I want to work at. So, Nagelsmann sacked Teichel in at Bayern. One point off top and then in Champions League qualification. Or qualification, quarterfinals. Golf World, get you out on this. Match play, Dell match play. Burns beats Cam Young in the final. Burns was 7-0 and in Austin. He beat Hadwin Scott and Seamus Power group play. Knocked off Patrick Cantley in the round of 16. Mackenzie Hughes in the quarterfinal. Scotty Scheffler in the semifinal. And then Cam Young in the final. Cam Young beat Rory in the other semifinal. So it could have been Rory Scheffler for the final. Which I'm sure NBC would have loved. Going up against March Madness there. But it was Rory beating Scheffler for third. And Sam Burns beating Cam Young in the final. Valspar next. Then it's the Masters, so likely a lighter field this week as a lot of players head down to Augusta to uh, tune up their game for the first major championship of the season, the Green Jacket given away. It's going to be Easter Sunday, which is very exciting. Always fun when the Masters lines up with Easter Sunday. So that's the Tuesday program. Uh, Thursday we will... Look ahead to Saturday's Final Four matchups. I might do a quick thing, like record it Sunday, release it Sunday for Monday's Natty. I don't know if I'm going to do it yet. Maybe we'll do it. We'll see. Maybe we stream the Natty Monday night? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we won't. Probably not, but we'll see. Uh, so we'll certainly preview the Final Four on Thursday's show. Some more NFL headlines. Soccer coming back this week as well. So we'll look ahead to a big, big weekend of footy specifically in the prem that's for sure so a big show on thursday hopefully you enjoyed this one with a look back at the sweet 16 elite eight recaps there and uh we will look forward to the final four on thursday's program all right so everybody have a great week i'll talk to you thursday and until that peace Football, football, and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.